Plum Creek, and we are a place where you matter. Our mission here is centered around change lives, changing lives. We believe this happens through three relationships, intimacy with God, intentionality with family, and influence with others. God has something He wants to say specifically to you wherever you are. Our hope is that you will leave encouraged and closer to Him than ever before. We'd love to connect with you online at PlumCreekOnline.com or on social media where you can see how Plum Creek is impacting our community and what opportunities we have for you and your family to get connected. If you'd like to support the ministry we're doing here in Castle Rock, the two easiest ways are through the Give tab on our website or via your mobile device by texting your dollar amount to the number on the screen. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you'll enjoy this message. We're beginning a new series called The Best Of, and uh, this weekend, um, who? I've already done this four times. Uh, we have the privilege of having a gentleman that the Lord brought into my life almost 30 years ago. And uh, I ended up in one of his classes at a little school, a little liberal arts Christian college in Deerfield, Illinois. And God used his ministry and uh, his heart when he taught to help me to know uh, and to just discern that God was calling me into the ministry. I was headed in a completely different direction. And the Lord used um, Rick's heart and the way that he taught and uh, the way that he loved and cared for his students and the way that I felt that personally, the way he invited me to be part of his family all those years ago has really changed me. Uh, he's a mentor. His voice means so much to me. Um, his heart, I know, is for us here at our church. It's for me, for our family. And uh, besides my parents, this man has had more influence on me than anybody on this planet. That's huge. And uh, so today... Uh, we have a chance to have him come and share from his heart uh, on a topic that is that he's super passionate about that we've talked about often and so will you guys please do me a favor and welcome my dear friend and mentor rick dunn I want you to know, you won't like this, but I did everything I could to get him to come to Knoxville, Tennessee and work on our church staff. I whined you, I dined you, I did everything, I offered you tickets, everything I could. And I remember when the last time you, you said, no, God has, we called to church planting. And as disappointed as I was that day, I knew it was true. And I'm so thankful. That, I mean, just look at the grace of God and what he had in mind. I'm so thankful. Aren't you all thankful God called him to Castle Rock? And, I thank Jesus, too, because he could have called you to, like, Lubbock, Texas. Or something. I, have to go, I have to go there every year. I get to go to Colorado. I love that. So I thank Jesus for that, too. I'm sorry if you're from Lubbock. I apologize for that. Someone once said uh, on the sixth day, God was tired, and he looked at that part of Texas, and he said, just throw some dirt on it. So, <laughs> so the Rockies, that's, that's God's good work, right? So, so here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to give you the main thought, like straight up front, because it's going to take me a while to walk us into it. I want to make sure you understand from the very beginning. Here's the main thought. Today, uh, we will all move forward by grace. Today, we will all move forward by grace. And let's just emphasize three words. Today, like right now. Not tomorrow afternoon, not sometime next week, not sometime next month. The Spirit of God brought you here for a very specific purpose. You don't really even know why you're here, really. If he would tell you, you'd be like, really? That's it? Yeah, that's it. Today, 
God wants to speak. And today we all move because that's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God moves. That's how God moves into the world, moves in our hearts. It's how he moves his will. It's through the Spirit. So the Spirit of God today wants to move you by grace. Grace. And that's going to be really important for us to understand. And today I'm going to talk about the context of him moving you forward by grace. I'm going to talk about the most powerful, the most painful, and the most practical place that's going to happen. So that's what we're diving into. So let me set it up this way with, with kind of an, of an image or a metaphor, a way of thinking about this, and a, one verse of scripture that will kind of get us into this. So here's the image or the metaphor. Imagine you're on a lake, and you've got a kayak or a canoe or something, and your friends are on a dock across, and they're waiting for you to come over and have a picnic. They're already over there. And you get in the canoe, and you start paddling across the lake. And early on, maybe from the very beginning, you get about 10 degrees off kind of where you should be going. So you should be going this way, and you're like, just 10 degrees off. Now, you, you might try to adjust along the way or whatever, or you might even start out okay, but early on, the wind comes at you or the waves push you or just the human tendency not to go in a straight direction. You ever notice that? Like the, the human natural drift away from that, you just wind up kind of not on, not on course. So you get across the lake and you're what, 30 feet away? And that's no big deal. I mean, you're 30 feet from where you're going to, your friends come and get you, you drag your canoe, your kayak, and you're pretty close. 10 degrees over a short haul is not very much off course. But now imagine that you find yourself on an ocean-going vessel, a huge sailboat or a huge boat, and you're going across the ocean, and you're going to get on start on the West Coast, and you're going across the Pacific Ocean, and you're just 10 degrees off. It's the winds and the waves and the moon. You just kind of, you just drift. By the time you get across, not only will you miss the, the port you were after, you will probably miss the country. You might even possibly miss the continent, depending on where you were headed. You see, drift over a short period of time is hard to notice and doesn't have very many consequences to it. Drift over a long haul changes the trajectory and the course of one's entire journey. Now, here's the verse I want us to think about. It's from 1 Corinthians 15. I'll not put it up here. I just want you to let me read it to you. It's written by the Apostle Paul. If you don't know who he was, you're new to the Bible. He's like the number one main guy Jesus comes and speaks to and the Spirit uses to bring the gospel, the, the life of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, who he is to the whole world. He is the main leader. He's the main guy. And he's saying to his friends in Corinth, and here's what he says before he says what I'm going to read to you. He said this. He said, look, um, I'm the least of these apostles. They were the main leaders. He said, I'm the least guy. I'm the worst of the worst of all these guys. He says, remember, before I became a Christian, I used to kill Christians. And then he says this in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am now. By the grace of God. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. What you're looking at is grace. The grace of God to love me and to, and to offer life to me. And everything since then has come from that grace. And I want you to know I work harder than anybody you could ever meet at this journey with Jesus. But the way I work is not by me. It's by him. It's by his grace. It's by his strength. It's by his power. And what Paul is saying is every day I am constantly aligning myself with this grace. I am moving back to the heart of God the Father by this grace. And as I move back to the heart of God the Father by this grace, I am finding God's will by this grace. 
This is the picture he's giving you. He's the picture of his moving and, and the wind and the waves and the weather and, and just the natural drift. It's so easy every day for him to kind of move off course. He says, but grace keeps calling me back. Grace keeps bringing me back to the heart of the Father and the will of the Father. And every day I give everything I have to live in that grace. When we talk about God, family, others, changed lives, changing lives, that's what, we're, that's what Doug's sharing with you. Grace changing lives, grace coming in and giving life in Jesus and then overflowing into our family and then overflowing into the life of others in our community and our world. And let me just say this to you all. You are making such an investment right now in children and students here. Like this thing is going to keep growing in children and students. I'm in a church like that too. Where you, and, and I will tell you this. Never, never cease to step up to the plate by grace to invest in children and students because it's compound interest. It just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies all over the world. Literally, in my church, we got a lot of young adults who come. I was in Anchorage, Alaska in February, ran into somebody, used to go to my church, talked about what God had done in their life. Then I'm in Zurich, Switzerland in May, I get on a boat, there are 128 people on the river cruise, and a young woman comes up to me and says, hey, Rick, and I realized she used to go to my church in Knoxville. I preached on Saturday, and someone came up from Plum Creek and said, hey, Rick, it's so good to see you. I was baptized at your church in Knoxville. You just don't know. And these were all young adults. They were college students and graduate students who came through our church on the way to what God had for them. Compound interest. So never step away from that and never step away from the most powerful and painful and practical place to practice grace, and that is your family. It's the most challenging place for grace. And here's what I want you to think about this morning, that living by intentional grace in your family as a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife, a mom or dad, living by intentional grace in your family is the best gift you can give to your family, to your church, to your community, and to your world. It is the most powerful thing you can give because grace is, moves us and aligns us with the heart of the Father, and all that we talk about comes from this grace. Now, let me make sure you understand grace because it's a word you can get thrown around and misunderstood. Grace is the opposite of earning something. Grace is not about performance and earning. Grace is about the gift of God offering himself to us when we don't deserve it by the life of Jesus Christ on a cross, taking punishment that we deserve so that we don't have the punishment. We have the Father. That's grace. I'm an AAU basketball coach. I work with athletes who are trying to work their way into exposure tournaments to get college scholarships. I tell my players all the time, basketball is about performance. Life is about grace. Nobody's going to give you a scholarship because they want to give you grace. Same thing, work. Work's not about grace. Grace, if you want to get a, get a bonus, you better do the work. You want to get a B average and A average in your school, you better do the work. You want to take care of your house, you better do the work. But don't confuse that with how relationships and life work. That's grace. And it's painful because that grace exposes a couple of things about us. One, just how we're not really everything we would want to be. I mean, you guys look good this morning, right? If I took a, if I took a poll, 98% of you would be wearing deodorant. And hopefully if you're not, you're sitting by yourself. But anyway, hope, like, 
everybody's got their deodorant on, everybody's got, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, this is what I wear. I don't always look like this at home. It's kind of ugly some mornings and stinky and just not good all at all, right? No, I hadn't brushed my teeth yet or come down, everybody, just is what it is. Home exposes us for who we are. Home is a risk. It's so much risky. You come up and say some, something to someone in the lobby and they ignore you. You're like, well, that kind of was frustrating. Someone in your home rejects you. God. And it's painful because what the things God says to us about home. Let me just read to you. You have a, a word that you use here in Colorado. We don't use this word in Tennessee. You sure don't use it in Texas. Fourteener, right? Fourteener, right? So here's the thing. I'm a husband, and my call to follow Jesus has got some 14ers in it. Here's one. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Whoa, 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 whoa. Rick, this is Jesus speaking. Um, you're, you need to love your wife. Do you love Teresa the way I've loved the church and put myself on a cross for her? And I'm like, mm, no. Love her, she makes me happy, things go well, I'm there. But offering myself up for her, that's a 14er for me. That's a 14er on crutches in an ice storm with a Yeti chasing me because I am an ambitious, arrogant narcissist and I want what I want and I like to control you if I don't get it. And that got exposed in my marriage. Here's another one. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I raised boys. That's a hard verse right there. My boys are a challenge. I remember our, our tech guy at our church who does all of our computers and technology and stuff, and he said, hey, my mom moved in next to you, next door to you. Did you know that? I said, no, I hadn't met her yet. He said, she, she saw your boys. I'm like, oh, okay, what'd she see? She said, well, he said, well, you know, they were just, Riding on skateboards, sitting on skateboards, riding down the hill, and one was chasing the other with a baseball bat. I said, yeah, that's my boy. So that was it right there. And so as a father, I want to go one of two ways. I either want to power over them or I want to be passive. That's what dads do. You, the, the instinct is power or passive. Power is you did something stupid. You made my life harder. I'm going to make your life so hard that you won't make my life harder ever again. Do you understand that? You are not going to make my life hard because I've got power over you. Or passivity. Do stupid, experience stupid, it's your problem. That's, what, that's my flesh. You say, this, <laughs> Doug, why did we have this guy come and talk, right? <laughs> you're like that too. We're all like that. You see, the, the family exposes us that our default setting is us. We want our children to be good. Because it makes life work for us. We want our wives or spouse, we want them to make happy because it makes life work for us. We want our parents to do things our way because it makes life work for us. We want, we want what we want. That's what grace comes in and says, yes, that's what you want. That's what you naturally want. And the consequence of that is you're going to live in shame because you cannot be God. You were not designed to be God. You cannot live as God. You cannot live as the God of your kids, the God of your spouse, the God of your parents. You are not designed to be God. There is one God and he's offering you grace. And if you stay do not find him. You will live constantly in an unresolved state 
of feeling like something's wrong with you and wrong with your family. That's shame. And you have an enemy who wants to pound you with it and over and over tell you, you are a loser. You're not good enough. You need to work harder. You want to do better. And grace says, no, I don't because I got Jesus. I got Jesus, and you have no authority to come in and tell me who I am and whatever. I am who I am by the grace of God, and every day I'm just trying to line myself up with him and align and learn to work with him. And what I want to do in the, in the time we have left is just kind of give you a vision for what this looks like because I believe that today God wants to move you. Today God wants to move you forward by grace. So let me just tell you a story. This is just my reality. I'm... Um, it's, my wife is a therapist. She owns her own private counseling practice, and um, she works pretty hard. And I'm a pastor of a church and the head of an AAU uh, nonprofit organization, so I work really hard too. But Mondays are our day off, and Monday's the day we have our grandson, James. James is two years old. He's cuter than any child who's ever been born in life, right? I promise you, he's the cutest kid ever, like all grandparents feel about their grandkids, right? So... We're there. It's our day to take care of James. She has a doctor's appointment. She can't get out of it. Like, she's got to go to this doctor's appointment. We're supposed to pick him up at 1030 for my daughter. She's 27. She's a graduate student as well as a mom and wife. And I'm in a, I don't have meetings on Monday, but the church that day, we, just, we got a meeting. We got to deal with it. We got to deal with something. And so we're both in place. We cannot get away. And I said, honey, like, okay, if you don't get out of your doctor's appointment, you got to get that appointment done. I'll tell the guys and the staff, I say, hey, I got to go. I've got to go. So we set this up, and I sit in the meeting. I can't remember. Is she going to text me, or am I going to text her? So I'm saying, well, I'll just text her. So at, like, let's say uh, I got to be there at 1030. takes 15 minutes to get there. Like, 10.05, hey, honey, are you done yet? It says delivered, but there's no little, little thing, capsule with a little period, right? There's nothing coming back. 10, 11, honey, are you, like, I need to know, 10, 16, nothing back. And I said to my team, I got to go. Y'all had to finish the meeting. I got to pick my grandson. There's nothing I can do. I can't get a hold of my wife. So I get in the car. And before I get in the car, I think of the residential areas I'm about to drive through, the intersections I'm about to encounter, and what it's going to take for me to get to my daughter in 14 minutes. And I just ask for advanced grace for what I'm about to do, all right? Oh, God, please forgive me for all the attitude I'm about to give and all the things I might say, do, or indicate to the other drivers around me. So I get in there, and we're driving, and I'm like, I'm not going to make it. I'm late. I'm not going to make it. I say, honey, I know you got to go to class. I know things. you got you got all this going on. I'm so sorry. I'm going to be there in two minutes, Jess. I promise, two minutes. Dad, my mom already picked up James 30 minutes ago. I just thought y'all would have communicated. To which I said, honey, you are 27 years old. You've known your parents for 27 years. And here's what I said. <laughs> like, honey, you know us. What makes you think we communicated? Like, we, as my son says, you are two waves that just crash into each other. And we were on the go. Now, I want you to play these words out in three different ways. I want to play these words out. Let's put them back up there with anger. Okay, let's do this with anger. What in your experience would lead you to that conclusion? If that had been year seven to 10 in my marriage, that's what it would have sounded like because I was so angry at that woman. I married her to love her. I married her to be with her and I married her for it to work and I had done everything I had could to change her so this would work better and she was not cooperating. 
and we got in some dark places in our marriage. She said to me, she said, I'm not going to divorce you, but I'm emotionally done with you. Just know I'm not going anywhere, but I'm done trying to get to your heart. Just go do your job because I'm an ambitious, arrogant narcissist. That's just who I am. It's my nature. Anything different is grace of God. So imagine me saying these words now in, in a tone of sadness. Well, honey, like, you know, what in your experience would lead you to conclude that your mother and I actually communicated? If it had been years 11 through 13 in our marriage, that's what it would have sounded like because I'd given up. I'd done everything I knew, exhausted everything I knew. Life was hard. Our children were young. I was trying to finish my Ph.D. I was working 19 hours a day. Finances were tough, and I just, like, I'd just given up on us having a marriage. But the way it worked out last spring when this happened was my, wife, my daughter just died laughing when I said that because it was so dang true. See, my marriage was saved by grace. Not just me, my marriage was saved by grace. And it was the grace of God to expose me for who I really am. I don't want to love her like Jesus. I want her to love her, me and make my life work. And God crawled all up in there and gave me that grace. And today I want all of us to move forward by grace. You say, it's too late for me. I'm already divorced. It's over. It's, it blew up. It's never too late for you to live by grace. For God to work in your heart and do powerful things in people's lives. You say, it's too late. I, uh, my kids are already, just, we're just so distant from one another. I don't know what's going to happen in that relationship, but it's never too late for you to get all close to the heart of the Father and let him work through that grief and loss and sadness. Or maybe, you, maybe you've lost a child like to death. Maybe you've lost a spouse to death. Maybe you're, maybe you're in a situation as a kid where you're like, I can't go back to my parents one more time. And what I'm saying to you is today we will all move forward by grace. Look at these passages from grace. You can look at them on the screen or open up your Bible. John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. These are not two separate ideas. They're the same thing. Grace and truth are always together. Truth holds us accountable, and grace pays the price for when we fail. Grace calls us to want to be more of who God calls us to be, and truth helps lead us by that grace into becoming more, into aligning ourselves with the Father's heart. Then look at verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That's our testimony to Castle Rock. That's our testimony at school. That's our testimony to our coworkers. We've been... Ephesians 2 earlier says we've been lavished with this grace. It's just been poured. We are soaking wet with the grace of God poured out on us. That's who we are. Am I an arrogant, ambitious, narcissistic, selfish man? Yes, apart from Jesus, but by his grace, I love. By his grace, I grow. By his grace, I learn. By his grace, I'm going to give my all in with my life and especially with my family because it's transforming. Look at another passage, one of my favorites from scriptures, maybe yours too, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not the result of works. Nobody gets to boast. Nobody says, I did enough. God likes me because I did this. God loves me because I did this. God loves my family because we're getting it right. That is never the truth. The truth of the matter is the only thing you contributed to your salvation was your sin, 
Are you with me? The only thing you brought to the table when it was time for you to be saved was, I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, well, that's all I need. Here's me. Grace. By faith. Nobody has a, it's not in us, it's in him. And listen, we're his workmanship for what? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The things he's prepared for us beforehand, that we should walk in those good works. We're his handiwork prepared for good works. And the most powerful place to learn to walk that out is your family. And the most painful place to learn to walk that out is your family. And the most practical way to walk that out is your family. Imagine what happens if um, 22 years ago, 21, 22 years ago, I just said, okay, I'm done with you. I'm done. And I'm done. Jesus, your whole thing about love your wife as you love the church, I ain't in. I'm not in. I'm not in. And I don't make the correction. Can you think about where we would be right now? Can you think about where we would have ended up? I had a pilot in one of the services. He flies internationally. He said, if I fly to Beijing, China, and I'm off 10%, he said, by the time I get to where I should be, I'm 720 miles away from China. And he said, not only that, if I encounter any weather problems at all, I'm going to crash every one of those people in that plane because I'm going to run out of fuel because I got off course. And I tell you with all honesty, If we're not living by grace, we're crashing the plane and everyone with us. It's grace we're created for. Accountability to the truth and grace. Here was my wife and I 34 years ago. Everybody thinks that she's much, much younger than I am for lots of reasons. She chose... Shows me. Just grace. Just grace. Here we are, 34 years later, we were in, back when we were in Alaska in February. She's my best friend. She's the person I laugh with. We'd never been, she'd never been cross-country skiing before. I'd been once. So we we're out cross-country skiing with all the humor that goes with that. Laughing, having fun, picking up each other, helping each other. When I married her, she was this feisty southern woman. 34 years later, she's a feistier southern woman. When I married her, I was like, wow, she comes on pretty strong. 34 years later, I've never said, Teresa, how do you feel? (laughs) And inside of me is a very awkward, anxious little boy who's afraid for you to see him because he would be embarrassed by how anxious he is. He would be scared by what you would say and do if you really knew what he was like. He kind of can't get his emotions out, and he's kind of stuck, and he he dwells in here, and I just try to keep him as hidden as I can because it really screws up my performance for you to see what's really inside of me. So I just try to keep him so you don't see what's really going on in me, but you know who sees? Teresa sees. And you know what her choice is? She loves that little boy. She's constantly trying to chase him out in the open so she can give him grace. That's what God intended. 
It's just real. I don't know what you think of your spiritual life, particularly if you're newer to the church. Maybe you think that being a spiritual person is like, okay, well, we're going to have the sermon today, and grace is going to move me, and then I'm just going to keep getting it right and keep getting it right. Let me just give you something. I'm very visual. Let me just give you a visual of what my spiritual life looks like. This is us that day cross-country skiing, okay? So here we are. She can't get up the hill, and I, being the loving, serving husband, got my hand on her butt, pushing her up the hill. Look at me. Look, look, look at her go. There we go. Yes. Now that's loving your wife. Although, wait for it. Wait for it. There we go. That's kind of my spiritual journey right there in a nutshell. Hey, I'm starting to get pretty good at this. Hey, this is where, look at how I'm serving. Hey. Ugh. Face plant again. Again. And Jesus said, get used to it, son. You are a mess. But let's, come on, let's get back up. We're going to go a few more feet by grace. That's what I mean by grace. It's just that, it's that movement. So a couple things you need to know, and then I want to give you a passage that you can take uh, the rest of this week and, and really pray about and walk. A couple things you need to know. Number one, this is going to be a tough one. Jesus, in Jesus' world, holiness is greater than happiness. Uh, Jesus is more concerned about your becoming like him than he is that it feels good. People say, I just want my kids to be happy. Mm. You know where that takes you? It takes you about 10 years into marriage to say, this doesn't make me happy anymore. I'm going to find somebody else. This takes you in, well, my kid's not working out the way. I got a script. My kid's not walking toward it, so I'm kind of done with my kid. I'm just going to shame him. Or ignore them. See, Jesus, after something, scriptures in Hebrews 12, verse 10 says, Our fathers discipline us for a short time as they seem best to them, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. God's after your heart. And when he comes after your heart, that means he's got to help you understand that there's something greater than being happy at the moment because that is circumstantial and it goes away and it doesn't last. My youngest son, Ben, uh, was a very dedicated and motivated athlete in middle school. In eighth grade, I remember he went and worked out with a personal trainer and ran in a sand pit in August to get faster because he wanted to play rush defensive end in high school. And he worked harder than any kid I've ever seen. Started playing his sophomore year in a very large school. His junior year, he comes out the first game, blows it up. He's been listed as one of the potential college recruits. He's 6'2", he's fast, he's He's what I call godly mean. Godly mean is that you do what is right and good, but you beat the heck out of the person in front of you. And, and he, all the tools are there, and, and every doctor he ever had said, you'll be 6'4", 6'5", one day. So he was aiming for a D1 scholarship. He had Nate and uh, Dylan, who were his friends, who were also uh, linemen that he'd grown up with who were aiming for the same thing. Second, the week after his first game his junior year in practice, his knee blows out, just major blows. Then he goes to uh, his orthopedic surgeon. They do the MRI. The orthopedic surgeon says, uh, hey, uh, your ACL meniscus, you're a mess. We're going to fix it, but you're a mess. And by the way, you're done growing. Your growth plates are closed. 
So in one fell swoop of about 48 hours, my son, everything he had worked for, dreamed of, and thought would happen in his life was gone. Now on the scale of all the big things in life, if you've lost a child or somewhere, you might say, well, that's not the, but you do understand what it's like to be 16 and to have worked your whole life for something that you've known and wanted so bad and have it taken away. I remember sitting with the Lord, and I was like, can you explain this to me, please? I know you don't owe me an explanation, but I don't understand this. I just need to say to you, God, straight up, you're his father, I'm his father. I wouldn't have done that to him. I'm just, that's my conversation. I'm a dad, you're a dad. I'm telling you, this is not good parenting. And God didn't owe me anything, but he gave me something. Changed my life as a dad. I just said, God, why? And he said, clear as the Spirit of God can speak to me without it being audible, he said, because I love him more than you do. You just wanted to be happy playing college football, and I got something else. I didn't design. I designed Nate and Dylan for that. I didn't design Ben for that, and I've got something better for him. And that set off a series of hard, hard years in my son's life that he will tell you that God went after his idols. I used to tell him, I said, Ben, you need to play professional athlete. You need to be a professional athlete because if you're a professional athlete, you can work hard all day and at night you can chill and flirt with women and it always works because that was pretty much his lifestyle. God went after his idol of football, his idol of relationships, one after another, one after another through an extraordinarily painful process that culminated in two, December 2016 with my son calling me on the phone and said, Dad, I have been saved by God's grace from things I do not deserve to be saved from. And I wept because I said, you're right. You're right. You loved him and saw what I couldn't see. And the man he's becoming and he face plants too. He's just like his dad. He's got some face plants. But the man he's becoming is more than I ever dreamed that he could be because of the grace of God. You see, we have to understand this other thing, that our, the journey with Jesus, this grace, is the path of resurrection. It's the path of new life coming forth. It's the path of new things and new hope and new ways to walk in that grace. Grace is like this fertile uh, soil that just grows this incredible spiritual fruit. That's why you're sitting in this room today because grace is bearing fruit in this church and in your lives and in your community. And God wants to grow that and bear that in your relationships as parents and as spouses and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. And he wants to take and grow that up in you. But here's the deal. You ready? Because if I said right now, if I said right now, go sign up for resurrection, would you do this? The path of resurrection passes through death on the way to life. And it's the death of me and you trying to be God. So here's what happens in our families. We embrace the fact that we are not God. And we do our part and we trust the rest to him. That's what relationships look like. The day I, that, I, that Jesus put in my heart, from now on, you're not going to love your wife with your love. It's too limited. You're going to love your wife with my love and I'm going to show you how to do it. On that moment, on that day, my marriage changed forever. 
On the day when God finally got it through my head, when I got that call from Ben, that he is a good father, even when I don't like the way he's fathering my kids, and my role is to follow him and be a father that leads them to him as father, and released from trying to be God of my children's lives. People told me when I, would have, when I had little children, I would be exhausted. Anybody got little kids in here? Can I get an amen? It's exhausting. People told me when my kids went, I didn't have to tell me. I was a youth pastor and a youth ministry professor. I knew when my kids went to middle school, it was going to get awkward. And, oh, it got so awkward. Ugh. My poor children. Nobody told me that launching your children might be the most difficult thing you'll ever experience, especially when you have to watch them make choices that you know are stacking up pain. And one night I'm laying in bed and I'm saying, God, what did what I do? And you know what he said? He said, you get out of my way. You pray and you love and you be a father to them, but you let me do what I'm going to do because I'm better at this than you. So what does it look like if our, if our families really become places of grace? What, what begins to happen? Well, I'm just going to give you Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. I'm not going in depth. I'm just going to go through it enough to kind of get your hearts around it. I want you to go back and read and think about this and pray about this because today God wants to move you forward by his grace and align you with his grace and move you back to the Father's heart. And this is what it looks like when it happens. Verse 12 of chapter 3 of Colossians. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We begin from this reality that the grace of Jesus has us in the grip of our Father and who we are, our identity is we are chosen and we are beloved. A lot of people think grace looks like this. Again, I'm visual, so a lot of people would give you this is the visual to grace, right? God grabs a hold of you with his grip and he pulls you as you grab a hold of him. That's not grace. This is grace. That's grace. I got you, son. But dad, Abba, father is what scriptures call it. Abba, dad, father, I really screwed up this time. I know. I know. And you know what? It's going to be a little painful. I got you. I don't know how to love her like that. I know. I know. Let my grace teach you. I don't know how to be a son. I know. I know. I'm going to show you. Look at the next verse, verse 13. Here's what we put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. If there's a security that comes from being chosen, there's a humility that comes from following the one who chose to serve us. We are chosen. We are secure. We walk in security. We also walk in humility because the grace of God has served us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 13. Bearing one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. You ready? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I had to go to my wife, and I have to go to my children, and I have to say, I'm sorry, I ask forgiveness. Here's something Doug and I were talking about during the break. I thought it was a great observation. He said, you know, we love grace when we get it, but it's really hard to give. Isn't that true? I sat down with one of my sons this week, and we went through a, something in his life that hurt me deeply. And I said, you know I've forgiven you. You know. And I said, don't carry any shame because it's over. We're moving on. It's never too late. Grace. 
I had, when I, my daughter Jessica was born, I had these four phrases. I don't know where I got them, but these are the four things I wanted to say. Three I wanted to say every day and fourth when needed. Number one, I love you. Number two, I'm here. And number three, I'm proud of who you are. Not what you do and achieve. I'm proud of who you are. I love you. I'm here. I'm proud of who you are. And then when necessary, I'd add the fourth one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I wanted, them, I wanted my daughter to see and understand what it looked like for a man to fail and find the grace of God was sufficient for forgiveness. I want to teach her how to forgive with grace like him. Then my boys came along and I wound up saying I'm sorry almost every day by my response to some of their behavior because they got at me a lot more than my daughter did and it just tweaked me so much more. I also added a fourth thing I said every day to my boys and that was, what were you thinking? Anyway, that's another story. All right, look at the next one. Uh, this is our grace. We have grace. We have security. We have humility. We have grace because the cross has forgiven us, and so we forgive. Verse 14, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This love with which we love each other. It's the love of the cross. It just never ends. Never ends. And you say, I don't know if I can do it. You can, you can. Lean into his grace and his heart and let that grace start to move you to learn to love and forgive. And, to, and, to, and Jesus said to me, seriously, until you're crucified on a cross, you're not done loving this woman. Submission, submission is a, is a bad word. Look at what, for most people, look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful submission to a righteous judge. The word there is the peace of Christ is to rule. It's to call what is true and what is true. It's to discern what is right and what is wrong. It's, it's everybody in our family and me taking my responsibility. I'm going to submit to him. Before anything else happens, I'm submitted to him as judge. I have a friend who is a godly man and judge who replaced, by the governor's appointment, a very corrupt judge. And it changes our community when you have a good judge instead of a corrupt one. And the judge is your father who, if you say, but he'll pronounce sentence on me for what I've done wrong. No, he won't because Jesus stands in between and says, no, 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 no. Remember, Father, he's ours. She's ours. And that moves into our family. So now we've got security in our family. We've got humility in our family. We've got a sense of, of grace in our family, of love in our family, of submission. And that leads to worship. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When we align ourselves with grace, the result is worship security humility grace love submission worship with him that's what grace does and it just brings resurrection and life I have a friend here's a picture of him his name is Mark Jones went to college together he's the second one from the left you can see his beautiful grandson he's holding his beautiful wife just right his three children just an amazing family uh, mark a couple of weeks ago he writes this man to man and he was in he was writing about he said always serve your wife always love her and he was talking about from a worship perspective just to love your wife and then he said you never know he was writing from the hospital he had had a horrible accident they had to do a knee replacement he was doing rehab and he said laying here not being able to serve my wife reminds me of how powerful it is to worship God by serving her. He said, you just got to do this because you never know. 
Two days later, less than two weeks ago, a blood clot traveled up from where the surgery had been done into his lungs and killed Mark. And you know what his legacy is? Worship and grace. Are his kids going to miss him dearly? Absolutely. But I am telling you, they've got life. They've got life because of grace. So I've got to show you a picture of my grandson, right? I mean, I've got to do that. This is me with my grandson. I told you, it's cute. He's also a Cubs fan. I mean, that's a two, two, I mean, it's amazing. We already, he says, go Cubs. All right, we got that going on, right? There's a legacy of hope and life and love passed down from my marriage to my daughter to my grandson because grace saved my marriage and grace saved my family and grace saved our shame. It's never too late today. Take that one step of grace. To close, we're going to do this a little differently. I'm going to ask Doug and Beth if they'll come up. And uh, we're going to pray for them. I'm also going to ask if there are any pastors, uh, board members, directors in here with your spouses to come up. And I'll explain why we're doing this. Uh, it's my privilege to be here today as Doug starts a one-month sabbatical. And when lead pastors take sabbaticals, it's for the purpose of really engaging God in a very intimate level and kind of stepping away from all the day-to-day and the leadership and just taking a step back to hear from God about his heart. It's about engaging your family and really the things we just talked about, intentional grace. And it's about preparing to lead with you all into what's next. So for the next month, Doug, you'll be uh, taking that time off. And I'm going to pray for you in a moment. And I'm going to pray that um, this heart right here just hears God say, my beloved, my chosen. I love, love Plum Creek Church, but I love you. I just want you to hear that. And then I, want to see, I just want to pray for that intentional grace between you and Beth. Just to keep, I just love your marriage in New York and see that grow. And with Josh and your other three kids, just to see God continue to form them into who he has them for. Because he's got these kids and he's moving and, and now you're launching them. And so I just want to pray God keeps giving you wisdom and how to launch and love well with these guys and with Megan. And then I'm going to pray when you come back in August, you're going to say, hey, Plum Creek, you wouldn't believe what God said. You're not going to believe this. I don't know what it is, but there's something because he called you to this valley so grace could irrigate this entire valley with the gospel. All right, will you all join me as I pray? Lord, I want to pray first of all that this will be the most intimate time that Doug has ever known with you, that you will, he will hear you speak to him as his son, not as a pastor, not as a leader, not as a coach, but as his son. And he'll hear your voice and he'll hear you and he'll call, Abba, Father, I love you so much. And you'll walk with him and you'll walk with all the things you want to work in his heart when he's not having to be thinking about every other thing going on in everybody else's lives. He can just be with you in this. Lord, I pray that, that you also will move in his heart towards Beth and toward his four children with an intentional grace that frees him up to just pour his heart out on this family. He's been faithful to you and he's walked with you, but he's just like me. He's a, he's a, he's a man who face plants. And God, I just pray that you would just give such grace that he will continue to walk in that grace. And then, Lord, I pray for Plum Creek and for the sake of Castle Rock and this community, this valley, that you will just bear fruit of vision. Even if that means some of Doug's vision has to die on the path to resurrection, let it be your vision for this community. Let it be so clear and so compelling that your spirit just ignites the hearts of this church for what you've called him to. And bring him back with the clarity and the humility and the love of Jesus. And let everybody know, yeah, Doug Miller is a great guy, but you should see what Jesus does through him. 
that Miller family, they're great, but you should see what Jesus does to them. That church, Castle Rock, that Plum Creek Community Church, amazing, but you should see what Jesus does through his people. Let the story be Jesus and his grace so that all might walk with the Father to the praise of his glorious grace, as Ephesians says, for your sake and for this grace you've lavished upon us. May we be moved today forward by your grace. Amen.